0: its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Now the thing
1: about time is that time isn't really real. It's just your point. Einstein said he could never understand it all Planets are spinning through space
2: Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor.
3: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I want to thank our sponsors for this third hour of today's show uh, for making this show economically viable. They are Gold Bullion Development, Crocodile Gold, Legend Gold, Athabasca Uranium, Golden Minerals, Western Pacific, and Focus Metals. Well, before we went to break, uh, Paul Michael, uh, you were talking about the the problems, the potential problems of uh, the U.S. buying their, their oil from the oil sands. Uh, the environmentalists are, are raising some heck about this whole thing. And you were suggesting, uh, though, that there are a lot of other places around the world where the U.S. might be able to buy its uh it's oil and gas and uh you started to talk a little bit about an agreement that president obama made with brazil would you care to pick up where you left off on that subject
4: yeah uh and uh yes yeah, so this is very interesting it was at the time of um the um, the news coverage uh concentrating of course on libya so this was lost i think in, in the in the news cycle but uh when he was in brazil uh just about 10 days ago uh, President Obama uh, signed or announced, rather, a strategic energy, energy dialogue or pr- protocol with Brazil. And uh, let me just quote what he had to say here, because I think it fits within a couple of interesting uh, 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 points of reference uh, that we've had in this discussion. Um, President Obama said, we want to work with you. We want to help with technology and support to develop these oil reserves safely, and when you're ready to start selling, we want to be one of your best customers. Hmm. Uh, And he's referring, of course, to the uh, massive offshore uh, uh, oil reserves that Brazil has uh, started to explore and develop. So, what we find with a statement like this is, contrary to President Obama's President's speech uh, last week when he said that the United States was committed to reducing oil imports by a third. In fact, the United States is out promising to buy massive supplies of crude oil from places like Brazil. And uh, uh, I think uh, we can draw some interesting conclusions. Number one, uh, as it pertains to Canada and the oil sands, the Canadians have to recognize uh, that the United States is not a captive market for Canadian heavy oil, but there are other alternatives or other supplies out there as we see with Brazil that can take market share away from Canadian heavy oil, and they can take it away from Canadian heavy oil because as in the case as in the case of Brazil, the grade of oil is much lighter and cheaper to refine uh, secondly, uh, the United States true this uh, protocol with Brazil is signaling that it wants to uh, reduce its dependency on imported oil, particularly from the Middle East and Persian Gulf region. Mm -hmm. And it will look to places like Brazil or offshore West Africa and Nigeria to uh, make up that supply uh, as the United States winds down its uh, involvement. In that region, you know, which stretches from Afghanistan to, to to the Persian Gulf and and so forth. So, um, uh, this is part of this changing, uh, you know, uh, the geopolitics of a changing oil market that I talk about in the book. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the administration yet has a clear doctrine on this issue. I don't you know. I think it's. Uh, sort of ad hoc approach, but they are moving in that direction because they're forced to move, Jay, in that direction because mm-hmm. of circumstances and events, having much to do with uh, technology and, and geopolitics. Um, and uh, uh, these type of engagements, I think, uh, uh, will, uh, will characterize American energy
3: policy for some time. All right. Well, let me ask you about Nigeria. You did mention Nigeria, and Chen Lin, who is a regular guest on this show and is a, uh, a partner of mine, mentioned that his, one of his, stock, his top stock picks is an oil company in Nigeria that's selling at about cash flow right now. What can you tell us about Nigeria? I mean, I have this sort of sense that Nigeria may be a sort of a dangerous place to operate. Well, um,
4: you know, I, I, uh, I uh, lecture in uh, the Niger Delta, Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a, a position at the University of Port Harcourt, the Institute of Petroleum Studies. So, you know, I'm pretty familiar with uh, Nigeria, especially Niger Delta, where you know, we've seen a lot of militant activity over the last couple of years. And hopefully uh, that situation will continue to stabilize. Other uh, presidential elections will take place on April 9. And then after that, I hope we will see some major reforms take place, particularly in the power and petroleum sectors. Nigeria, as with most of West Africa, but Nigeria in particular, is... uh, I don't think it's an overstatement that I'm going to make, Jay. Mm -hmm. Nigeria is uh, a Saudi Arabia. It has four other basins quite apart from Niger Delta, oil basins that have not yet been explored. It has massive reserves that have not yet been made public. It has offshore capacity, which... uh, has yet to be fully developed. Uh, the presidential advisor on petroleum, Dr. Igboga, last week issued a statement uh, that he surprised even me because of the timing of the statement. Uh, he declared that uh, Nigeria has uh, capacity spare capacity of 3.7 million barrels. They're currently producing a around 2.5, 2.6 because of the OPEC quota.
1: Mm-hmm. So,
4: so, taking his statement at face value, it means Nigeria has approximately 1.1 or 1.2 million barrels of excess capacity that it could put into the market immediately if, if uh, it decided to um, uh, go beyond its, its quota level, its OPEC mm-hmm. quota level. And if that's the case, and then it, it, you know, it speaks to uh, the potential of Nigeria and the other West African countries to put massive amounts of supply into the market. It speaks to the, the functionality of OPEC. It speaks to alternatives um, that the United States can have with other petroleum producers uh, to make sure that supply is available, to make sure that uh, oil prices uh, uh, do not skyrocket and undermine the recovery. Uh, So it's a very interesting statement. uh, And uh, um, I think uh, Nigeria, uh, if stability can be ensured and we see these political measures come into play over the next few months, uh, I I would be very bullish on Nigeria.
3: Well, let me ask you, with that kind of potential in, in Africa, uh... there's likely to be some real battles going on for uh... for you know by investors or by, by in the geopolitical battles i guess is what i'm getting at china uh... i don't know about russia but china certainly in the united states do you see some competition among some of the emerging powers in the world for these for these resources
4: well clearly and i mean you're absolutely correct and uh... the chinese are are uh... uh vested in a number of Afri- African countries, not just for petroleum, oil, and natural gas, but also for strategic uh, minerals and metals of one form or another. Uh, and, uh, and, and they import a lot of Angolan crude, and they're heavily vested in Sudan, as you know. Um, but in Nigeria, uh, I can tell, tell you with some degree of authority that uh, the Nigerians would much prefer... Dealing with the United States, uh, they have a real hesitancy towards a strategic engagement with China for a number of reasons. Uh, so, each each jurisdiction, each country has to be taken, you know, uh, 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 by by itself on its own merits, as well in order to understand its relationship with China or France or Great Britain or the United States. But in the overall, West Africa has always had. Uh, according to the Pew surveys, the highest pro-American attitudes uh, of any region in the world. So it's a very pro-American area. They want to do business with the United States. They really do like the, the United States, and so it's you know it's a it's a logical partner on on many issues. Uh, but hopefully we'll see you know institutionalization in places like Nigeria and and and, and uh, a lot of internal domestic problems have to be addressed. It's conceivable that 20 years from now, we'll look back on Nigeria and some of these other African countries in the way we now look back on, on some of the Asian and Latin American countries uh, that have developed quite dramatically.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, let me ask you this. Um, if we have these em- new emerging sources of, of oil... And if uh, we 're finding new massive deposits in, in the United States, why are we so active in the Middle east uh, and uh, for example, your question a question that you raised in the book, uh, you know you said uh, that um, you said that why did the United States go into Iraq when it holds seven hundred and fifty barrels of unconventional oil inland? Well, first of all, uh, I want to ask you about the seven hundred and fifty billion barrels of uh, unconventional oil but 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 if there are all these other sources of oil why are we so focused yet on now at libya it seems to me we're extremely preoccupied with the middle east or are there reasons other than oil that we're in the middle east
4: you know this this, uh, this is a uh, fundamental question that goes to the heart of a number of geopolitical and economic questions i'm going to try and be as concise as possible in answering that question. Uh, Vis-a-vis Iraq, I I strongly believe that the Bush-Cheney administration uh, did not understand the uh, developments in the the oil sector uh, in the manner that they should have understood it. Had they done so, uh, yet we would not be going into Iraq in the, in the manner that we we have we, we have done so. We would have concentrated on developing domestic petroleum resources, natural gas, oil, so forth. I think we went into Iraq on a very serious geopolitical calculation that proved wrong. And in the book, I state that uh, it's my belief we went into Iraq for regime change in order to make the new uh, U.S.-dominated Iraqi government the oil-producing counterweight to Saudi Arabia and to reduce the Saudi role in OPEC. We would have our own proxy, i.e. Iraq, which Paul Wolfowitz made very clear would be producing massive amounts of oil. Between six and eight million barrels a day by i think the ATUs was two thousand six two thousand seven some you know arbitrary date, and that this would justify the cost of the war because in effect uh it would not cost the u s taxpayer anything <laughs> you know, and and, uh, and this was a misbegotten policy that the bush Cheney administration wholeheartedly supported along with Congress. Uh, on both sides of the, of the aisle, I might, I might add. No one wants to talk about that now, because everybody, except for some folks in the in the uh, sort of Tea Party wing of, of the Republican Party, uh, no one wants to talk about it, because everyone uh, understands they made a very serious but calculated judgment on this, which proved wrong and disastrously, disastrously wrong. Uh,
3: and we're still living
4: with that, uh,
3: you know. Well, why are we why are we then in um, in Libya now? What's the purpose there? Is it, and what are your thoughts about that?
4: Yeah, I think uh, I think Obama himself was herded into this uh, involvement in Libya by some of his you know, key advisors, powers, and uh, Hillary Clinton, and, and so forth, and uh, and events overtook the decision-making process in the White House, which, as you know, is a recipe for disaster. And I think one of the arguments that is being used to justify U.S. military invention is the issue of uh, ultimate control over Libya's oil resources. And what we see now is evidence on the ground that that is indeed the case. Where in the the rebels and, uh, and Gaddafi, are replicating the uh, back-and-forth campaigns of the Africa Corps and the uh, British Eighth Army in World War II. Uh, except this time, they're going up and down that road, back and forth, in order to seize the the crown jewel of the Libyan oil uh, uh, sector, which is the Ras Lanouf uh, Oil Refinery, which is midway between Benghazi and Tripoli. And this refinery produces around 200, 200, twenty thousand barrels a day of crude that goes primarily to Italy, France, and uh, Germany, and Spain. Um, so this is a critical uh, 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 town on the coastal road. Whoever can control it controls the Libyan economy and has the upper hand in eventual negotiations. I think the United States uh, has been involved again in the Middle Eastern country, tangentially, not directly, as in the case of uh, Iraq, but tangentially and directly involved in Libya as a consequence of oil and who can control the oil and with whom will we be uh, discussing potential concessions after the fighting stops? So uh, I think uh, there are some elements in the administration who uh, may be thinking of you know, doing some favors for, for uh, the industry and positioning the United States uh, strongly with either Gaddafi or the rebel forces uh, uh, once it's clear as to who's controlling that refinery and the oil fields that feed into that refinery. So I think it's a very complicated and it's actually a very high-risk uh, adventure that the United States is undertaking right now.
3: Well, the Financial Times headlines today said Libyan rebels set to export their first oil. Uh, <laughs> do you think that the the balance maybe is is tipping over now to the Libyan rebels?
4: Well, it's it's hard not to see that, given the very significant air support in that these rebels have, and they're mm-hmm. probably going to be shipping that oil from small, much smaller refineries uh, that are are uh, to the east of Benghazi, towards the Egyptian border, uh, which is very much under the, their control and not under threat from the Gaddafi forces. Uh, but it's a marker that they're laying down. And, of course, uh, it's a message to the Europeans and others, including the U.S., that uh, you know, we're open for business. Uh, we need some money. <laughs> we need diplomatic recognition. Let's, uh, let's do some oil trading. So, um uh, so uh there we go. But uh Gaddafi uh will not give up easily and uh as a consequence uh you know we have the potential for unintended consequences in support US interests are concerned
3: okay so as as happens so often in most cases that's that 's the case well let's i 'd like to ask you a little bit about in the time we have remaining here uh, another uh, eight minutes or nine minutes or so uh, to talk a little bit about this source of unconventional oil and gas in the united states this uh, this whole question in your book about uh, you know why we would go into Iraq if we had this vast source and uh, seven hundred and fifty billion barrels of unconventional oil inland. Talk about that if you would please and, and what evidence do we have now? Are we getting to some of that oil through some of these unconventional uh, or these new technologies?
4: Yeah. Uh, let me just preface uh, my response to Jay by going back uh, to the Iraq war. Um, within the context of our discussion there was no need really for the United States to go into Iraq. Uh, the United States uh, justified that in, on a number of fronts, you know, having to do with terrorism, the war, of, uh, the weapons of mass destruction, the threat to Israel. You know there was a, it was a combination of justifications, but ultimately it came down to uh, controlling the, uh, the oil supplies, uh, securing a vast new supply of oil to the U.S market, the easy way. <laughs> which was to uh, invade Iraq, occupy Iraq, and control uh, oil production and oil exports, right? That's that's the way we, you know, it's always been done, uh, and that's why we're used to doing it. We're not used to, you know, looking in our own backyard and developing our own resources. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh,
4: and uh, uh, that is very unfortunate and has uh, led, in the case of Iraq, I think, to... Uh, To the the economic and financial uncertainty that we 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 now experience in the United States uh, since 2008, the Department of Energy has estimated that uh, in the Green River Formation that I mentioned earlier, uh, the U.S. has uh, approximately 750 billion barrels of uh, oil shale reserves that can uh, can be developed. Maybe. 20% of that uh, could be commercially developed with existing technologies. Uh, But that 20% is an enormous amount, maybe 150 uh, billion barrels of crude, uh, which is very, very significant. Uh, And as we've seen with uh, uh, shale gas, the new technologies are very, very effective and very cost-efficient. And those basic technologies, hydraulic fracturing and horizontal drilling and so on, uh, can be applied to the oil shale in in the Green River Formation. And uh, there are some private companies out there that are doing just that, but they've been hindered greatly uh, under the current administration by new environmental regulations and standards uh, that uh, are not allowing for the rapid commercialization of this shale. However, I believe that uh, whenever there is a Republican administration elected, we will see rapid commercialization in a manner similar to uh, gas shale uh, that uh, you've mentioned uh, earlier in uh, the marsh shale deposits in in, in New York and Pennsylvania and West Virginia. Uh, And... uh, that will bring a very significant domestic supply of unconventional oil uh, to the American market, which means we would basically be efficient in, uh, in crude. We'd have to supplement it with oil imported from allies like Canada and Mexico and uh, friends like Brazil and Nigeria. But you know, we'd be in a very strong position in terms of supply and in terms of uh, pricing as well. As we've seen with natural gas prices and the collapse of very high prices to a much lower level.
3: Okay, Paul Michael, we only have a couple of minutes left. I want to ask you uh, if you could talk just momentarily about the economics. Are there some companies that are operating now in the, uh, uh, in the eastern part of the United States to extract uh, uh, these, uh, these resources from shale? yes
4: there are there are uh, oh, uh, dozens of companies you know so small caps and larger mm-hmm. some of the more interesting companies very quickly for your audience if there's an interest uh i, I would i would uh, uh, uh reference uh, some interesting and i I don't hold stock in any of these companies but mm-hmm. uh, big players you know sort of the exxon Mobil of of gas shale is Chesapeake energy I think mm-hmm. that's a really interesting company a lot of uh, uh, capacity, uh, Pennsylvania, Virginia, Penn v- VA, uh, Gas Star Exploration, and uh, Williams. Williams is a diverse – all of these uh, companies are well diversified. They have very strong reserves. They have good technologies. They have good long-term plans. And uh, what's also interesting are the service companies or the, the follow-ons to uh, – Gas E and P, gas shale E and P, and here are a couple of interesting ones that uh, your audience might be interested in. Uh, a company called Westport Innovations. Westport mm-hmm. is building uh, natural gas engines for vehicles. Oh, uh, yeah, and I think I think that's a growth area uh, for a number of reasons. Also, another company called Clean Energy Fuels, which is building. Natural gas stations.
3: Hmm. Fuel. Interesting.
4: So you know you can see sort of this very interesting uh, complex of companies who are involved in E and P of gas shale and service companies, secondary support companies that uh, are going to take advantage of this and, and provide certain services and products that will feed into the consumer demand for natural gas.
3: Well, Paul Michael, I think you've just given me a little more work, like I needed more work. It looks like I've got some research to do on some energy companies now. These, these sound very, very interesting. Unfortunately, we're just about out of time. We've only got, we've got less than a minute left. I want to ask you to tell our listeners again how they can follow your work. Where can they go to, uh, to pick up? Also, where can they uh, buy your book, The Rise of the New Oil Order, which I highly recommend?
4: Well, thank you very much, Jay. Uh, the, uh, the book can be obtained from its publisher uh, in Geneva, Switzerland, which is called Academy and Finance. and One would go to uh, academyandfinance.ch, and there are a couple of web pages devoted to the book. Also, amazon.com. And there's a phone number. If people are interested, they can call, and we'll get back to them and make sure they get a copy of the book. And the phone number that they can call here in the U.S. would be 202 589 Five one two two five eight nine one five five one, and of course my uh, company's uh, website, which is uh, gwest.net.
3: GWest.net. Well, thank you very much, uh, Paul Michael. We've run out of time. Unfortunately, I know we could go on for a long time. You are a a fountain of information in the industry and one that's refreshingly optimistic uh, at a time when there's uh, a lot of consternation, uh, certainly in in the uh, energy complex uh, in general. Thank you very much. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be talking uh, to Gil Schneider. He's going to come to us. He is the president of Athabasca Uranium, a company that is involved in looking for, searching for, and developing a high grade uh, uranium in uh, Canada. So don't go away, we'll be right back with Gil Schneider.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
1: Crocodile Gold Corp is a new gold producer with bite. With operating gold mines in the Northern Territory of Australia, Crocodile Gold produced 82,000 ounces of gold in 2010. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometres. Please visit our website at
0: www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. The high risk but high reward business of mineral exploration is key to discovery and development of America's next generation of mines. A leader in this search is Millrock Resources. Based in Anchorage, Millrock is revealing the astounding potential for gold deposits in the Alaska frontier. In Arizona, the target is giant hidden porphyry copper deposits. Financing this search are joint venture partners Peck, Ballet, Inmet, Kinross and Eldius, major industry players. Together, the aim is discovering world-class gold and copper deposits to help secure America's productive future. Investors can share in the potential rewards. Millrock Trades on the TSX Venture Exchange, symbol MRO. Great Panther Silver is a profitable primary silver producer trading on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol GPR. GPR operates two 100% owned mines in Mexico, has a solid track record of increasing production, and continues to add resources and reserves. GPR has developed an organic growth strategy that will see production increase by more than 65% over the next two years. Great Panther Silver is also generating excitement at its new discovery in Guanajuato and expanding its drill program. Look for GPR on the TSX.
2: Brigus Gold is a growing gold producer with expected production of about 85,000 ounces of gold this year from its Black Fox mine in the Timmins Gold District in Canada. Next door to Black Fox, Brigus has the exciting Gray Fox Pike River Gold Project. Brigus is also advancing its Gold Fields Project in Saskatchewan, Canada, and its promising exploration projects in Mexico and the Dominican Republic. All of its gold assets are in low-risk operating jurisdictions. Consider Brigus as your gold investment choice. Brigus is listed on the MX and TSX under the symbol BRD.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
3: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me uh, for a second time Gil Schneider. He's the president and CEO of Athabasca Uranium. Uh, This is a company that trades in Toronto under the symbol UAX, and in the United States, you can buy it in the -the over-the-counter market under the symbol ATURF. Uh, approximately seventy seven million shares outstanding after the company recently did a financing uh... It's selling at about twenty four and a half cents today so that gives it a market cap of uh... of only about eighteen million dollars uh... with five million dollars uh... in the bank uh... and this is a company that uh... is in uh, is looking for exploring for using systematic technologically proven methods uh, to To look uh, to uh, uh, try to locate a high grade, and we're talking about high grade uranium com- a country uh, in the Athabasca Basin of uh, of Canada's Athabasca Basin. Well, welcome, Gil, again to turning hard times into good times.
5: Thank you, Jay, for inviting me back a second time.
3: Well, it's really good to have you uh, back. And uh, talk to us a little bit about the Athabasca Basin. You have some incredibly high grade. I guess the highest grade uh... uranium deposits in the world are found here is that right
5: that is correct uh... maybe jay let me um, reiterate that uh... you know today is the twenty-fifth day since the uh, worst imaginal catastrophe that one could <laughs> even think of uh, and uh, we'd first of all like to express our sincere condolences to everyone that's been affected uh... by this tragedy and we just want to emphasize that uh... we at athabasca uranium are focused squarely on the execution of the earlier stated milestones, and we expect that we'll continue uh, right on target just the the way we've planned. So you'll see by our news releases that uh, we've added a second of a a third uh, property uh, that we had planned on already, so we're going uh, ahead exactly as we had planned before, Uh, that we do have the the financing has been arranged so that we're uh, fully funded to execute on our entire exploration program uh, to the end of the year and beyond, uh, which includes uh, uh, analyzing uh, some further analysis of the Z-TEM data that we just uh, acquired uh, over uh, all of our properties. Uh, um, We're doing some further analysis and then going to go do some ground uh, geo work and then hopefully drilling in the summer. Uh, So we're we're well funded to do that and and we have to say that uh, we came in under the wire there because uh, uh, we closed that financing three days uh, after the earthquake. Uh, and uh, for that, we'd like to uh, thank our, our investors for sticking by us uh, and letting us um, uh, get the funds uh, in our treasury to finish our exploration program.
3: Okay, so you recently raised, uh, how much money did you raise?
5: Oh, well, we raised uh, $2.6 million, or two point eight, I should say, sorry, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, oversubscribed our original announced Uh, funding was 2.5 million Mm -hmm. uh, and we closed that uh, as I mentioned uh, on March the 14th.
3: And if I'm not wrong uh, you sold those shares at 35 cents, you're currently uh, selling at 24 and a half cents as we mentioned.
5: That's right, the the non-flow through uh, funds were at 35, the flow through were at 38 and um, by that time, March the 14th, uh, we had already seen the effects uh, of the earthquake uh, on the uranium stocks um, across the entire board, including ours. Uh, so there again, uh, we, we thank our investors for their confidence in us.
3: So we're looking at uh, a share price that obviously, uh, you know, maybe you could tell us a little bit about who the investors were. they mostly institutions that came into this play? Are they small investors or, or who well, came it, into?
5: It, it's itemized in our news release uh, of March 14th. Uh, but we did have some uh, some large funds that, that came in on this one again, uh, similar to the first one that we uh, did uh, in December of 2010. Uh, and so we're, we're appreciative of uh, these uh, large funds uh, taking a, a partnership with us.
3: Well, we talked to Amir Adnani earlier today who uh, really reiterated his view that this is an industry that has to go forward. Uh, notwithstanding the difficulties uh, of that Japan has faced, but as you 've just noted, it was an, an un, uh, almost an unbelievable uh, set of events that uh, you know were just just un, almost totally unpredictable to have a nine point zero and then an earth a uh, tsunami of that magnitude um, and and the uranium price, as Amira has pointed out hasn 't really declined much at all The shares got hacked got whacked pretty hard, but the But the supply and demand for uranium and the necessity of having uranium. So it seems to me longer term, this looks pretty solid. But I have to ask you, just you need to talk a little bit about where you're located. Because as I pointed out, you are in the highest grade uh, uranium country in the world. Talk to us a little bit about your neighbors. Who do you have on either side of your properties that that might uh, give us some sense of what prospects you might have?
5: We'd like to encourage the the listeners to take a look at our website and um, just go through our properties, which are uh, displayed there, Uh, and what's shown are the claim holders around all of our properties. And what you'll see as you look at that, on every one of our properties, we're completely surrounded with uh, claims by Cameco, Denison, uh, J&R, Hather. Uh, So all of these properties all around us indicate uh, or a strong signal to us that we're located in the right places.
3: Um, So talk to us a little bit about this data that you've just, you've picked up uh, some data uh, that you talked about. Uh, What is that telling you?
5: Well what we did is we made an announcement about the the targets that we've identified using process called ZTEM. I'll call it, could be ZTEM, but I'll call it ZTEM so it's not confused with uh, another uh, version called ZTEM. The ZTEM is the the most up-to-date exploration tool uh, in the Athabasca Basin today, and uh, with that we've um, identified uh, some very highly prospective targets uh, in every one of our properties, including the McCarthy River, the uh, Webb River, McCarthy, McCarthy McGregor Lake, uh, East Key Lake, uh, there's prospective targets on every one of these properties. So we're very excited about that, and uh, we're looking forward to uh, doing some additional analysis of this data uh, and then uh, moving ahead with uh, the ground uh, geo work and then on to the drilling.
3: Well, I think you have indicated, you know, I know a lot of some of these really high-grade deposits in the Athabasca Basin are very deep, but I think your targets are relatively shallow. Is that right?
5: Yes, we, we've chosen a certain trend uh, on purpose because we want it to be in the outer trend of the Athabasca Basin, which is, it, um, is easter, northeasterly, and it is on the outer edge of what the geological map of Saskatchewan would show as the uh, the rim of the basin uh, all of the discoveries in this area uh, in the rim near the rim of the basin have been shallow, for example, uh, Key Lake uh, had over two hundred million pounds of uranium taken out and it was only sixty meters deep uh, on the other end, uh, closer to our McCarthy uh, river property is the uh, uh, Great Bear uh, Discovery, at which is UEX's uh, property, and currently it is the, the largest uh, surface mine in the entire basin. Uh, the property that's closest to our uh, McGregor Lake property is the discovery with uh, a joint venture with uh, Dennison and JNR. and from the uh, ZTEM data that we have acquired, it looks like that uh, fault line comes directly onto our property. Uh, So we're in the general vicinity uh, of current discoveries and definitely in the area where uh, other discoveries have been made uh, that are shallow.
3: Well you certainly are in a great address, there's no doubt about that. The names you just mentioned and the high grades uh, that are surrounding you and the structures that look promising, it it certainly seems to me uh, that this is a kind of kind of company that people might want to consider owning. And I like to tell people in the exploration business, don't don't back up the truck. I mean, I don't care how optimistic you are. But you know, if you take 5% of your portfolio and put it into a stock like this, and you guys hit, uh, I mean, some of these high-grade uranium deposits uh, can make the richest of gold mines look like um, nothing compared to, if you're looking at, just to give us an idea... Uh, Gil, let's say you had you know, 1% or 10% uranium, you're talking about some very expensive, extremely expensive rock, aren't you?
5: That, that's for sure. Uh, but what has been found in, in the basin uh, and certainly in Cameco's uh, MacArthur River Mine is at 23%.
3: 23%, it's just unbelievable, it and then other, people could put put, you, you put your pencil to the paper and do 23% on, on 2,000 or 2,200 uh, tons and look at how many pounds and, and multiply that times. What is the price of uranium these days?
5: Well, well today it's uh, $62.50, which is um, kind of interesting because uh, right after the earthquake, it went down to $49.25 a pound, and so now we've gained about 25% uh, in yeah. the spot price alone. Uh, and of course the what makes the investment in uranium companies right now so attractive is that the uranium stocks uh, haven't recovered yet uh, but an analysts do tell you that uh, they're going to, and uh, we certainly believe that they will and and what makes Athabasca uranium particularly a good investment we think is that we didn't have the original bump that some of the other uranium companies had gotten when the price of the spot price of uranium had uh, risen earlier. Uh, because we were just at the beginning of our exploration program. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, the opportunities for um, a profit in, in our stock we believe is greater than some of the other companies in this industry.
3: Well it certainly uh, certainly would have an enormous upside potential with some discovery and you will be drilling and how soon might you expect some drill results?
5: Well the, if, uh, our plan is to be drilling in the summer and uh, it, it does take about a month after to uh, get some results that we'll be able to announce. so. Uh, before the end of the year, certainly in the third quarter of uh, this year, we should be able to uh, make some announcements as to uh, what type of, uh, of structures that we've been able to uh, identify using the Diamond Drill Program.
3: Okay, Gail, we're out of time, but tell our listeners where they can follow your progress. What's your website?
5: Well, the, the website uh, is um, www, of course, um, com.
3: Wonderful. Thank you so much, uh, Gail, for being with us again, for updating us uh, on your company. I hope when we have you back again sometime, you'll have uh, some more positive results, maybe some drill results, although that'll be a number of months away. I want to thank you very much. Folks, we do have to go to break right now, but don't go away. I'm going to be back for the wrap-up uh, with my friend uh, and colleague and uh, former analyst in Vancouver, Ted Ohashi. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Thank you, Jay. Thank you.
2: Brigus Gold is a growing gold producer with expected production of about 85,000 ounces of gold this year from its Black Fox mine in the Timmins Gold District in Canada. Next door to Black Fox, Brigus has the exciting Gray Fox Pike River Gold Project. Brigus is also advancing its Gold Fields Project in Saskatchewan, Canada, and its promising exploration projects in Mexico and the Dominican Republic. All of its gold assets are in low-risk operating jurisdictions. Consider Brigus as your gold investment choice. Brigus is listed on the MX and TSX under the symbol
0: BRD. Great Panther Silver is a profitable primary silver producer trading on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol GPR. GPR operates two 100% owned mines in Mexico, has a solid track record of increasing production, and continues to add resources and reserves. GPR has developed an organic growth strategy that will see production increase by more than 65% over the next two years. Great Panther Silver is also generating excitement at its new discovery in Guanajuato and expanding its drill program. Look for GPR on the TSX. North Atlantic Resources is a gold exploration company with three projects in Mali, West Africa. With successful drilling programs and new discoveries made this year, we are in an excellent position to advance our premier FT project to development. We have a 43-101 compliant resource of approximately 600,000 ounces of gold with a target to increase to over 1 million ounces. North Atlantic trades under the symbol NAC on the TSX Venture Exchange. Learn more about NAC. Go to our website at www.nac. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network.
1: Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding.
2: listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program.
3: Welcome back to Turning Hard Times Into Good Times. This is the wrap-up section of this week's uh, show, and I have with me Ted Ohashi, uh, as mentioned, uh, a colleague uh, also uh, involved uh, with Investment Pitch, uh, along with myself as on the advisory board. Uh, welcome, Ted.
6: Hi, Jay. Nice to have you back.
3: Well, good to be back. Good to have you back. Uh, I want to... You were just in Toronto. Talk to us a little bit about the mood of investors in Toronto, if, if you don't mind.
6: Sure. Well, uh, the, the I was speaking with the brokerage and institutional community there, um, and generally speaking, they're still uh, very optimistic, very positive. Um, there's a little bit of what you might call rare metal fatigue. I mean, you know, I, I was there with a, a company that I'll talk about in a moment that... Uh, uh, produces antimony and and you know the response was often oh thank goodness not another rare earth story so <laughs> you know <laughs> but uh but still uh they're receptive to uh good news stories uh there's money available for uh for companies that need it and uh so yeah just uh, uh the market is kind of progressing as we would expect it to
3: Well, we devoted a good part of today's show to energy, but you were talking about Antimony. Uh, Tell us about uh, what's the company that's producing Antimony and and why might that be something investors might want to take a look at?
6: Uh, The company is Adroit Resources. Um, It's uh, listed on the uh, Venture Exchange in Toronto. Uh, ADT is the symbol. Um, It's a company with about a $12 million market cap. Um, and they uh, have an interesting uh, antimony project in Italy. Um, antimony is a, is a uh, strategic metal. Um, about 91% of the world's uh, antimony has been produced by China, uh, but uh, last year uh, the Chinese uh, cut back uh, their production uh, by about 30%, an article in the Financial Times in London indicated that uh, uh, the Chinese may be running out of antimony. Uh, and the result has been that uh, the price has been very strong. Uh, it's currently around $16,000 uh, which uh, per metric ton, which is uh, an all-time record high.
3: What is it used for, uh, Ted? What What are some of the uses of antimony?
6: Well, the main use is as a fire retardant. Um, in uh, plastic bottles, in uh, furniture covering, in airline seats, all of that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also a very exciting new um, uh, use for it, uh, which is in uh, flash drives. Um, and um, uh, it's, it, it is being used uh, in uh, flash drives because uh, it's about 30 times faster uh, and uh, I think uh, Samsung and Micron are two companies that are uh, now using it and, and coming out with a new product. So uh, the demand is, uh, is um, very strong and the supply side is very weak and hence the price has been uh, up in the stratosphere.
3: What sort of market cap does Adroit have, and and uh, is there a way that people can learn more about it? I believe you indicated that uh, Investment Pitch has a video, perhaps an interview with the company.
6: Yeah, that's right. Um, you can go to uh, www.investmentpitch.com uh, and uh, and see the interview that I uh, taped uh, with management of Adroit. Uh, you could also, of course, go to their website, um, and if you simply Google Antimony. Uh, chances are they'll be there on the first page.
3: All right. Uh, so you you feel there's some fair fair upside potential with this stock. It must be must be pretty speculative, though, Ted. They're not producing yet, right? They're exploring and developing a project.
6: That's right. Uh, what they have in Italy is a historic uh, resource. Uh, it was actually uh, the other use that I didn't mention of antimony is uh, its strategic use, which is in uh, ammunition, um, and this. Uh, area of Italy was uh, bombed by the allies during world War II uh to prevent or disrupt the- uh, pr- uh, production of antimony um and so um yeah the uh the if you look at comparables uh, and there are comparables uh then adroit looks very very undervalued uh they're uh-huh. uh, in the process of proving up uh, a historic resource and um so uh they should have a forty three one oh one uh, resource by, uh, early next year.
3: Okay. Well, the market cap of uh, a very small market cap, I think you said around $12 million. It might be worth looking at. And folks, again, you can go to uh, investmentpitch.com. Check out that and a whole lot of other things at Investment Pitch. Ideas, investment ideas that are there. No charge. Just go check it out. And uh, and of course, do your own due diligence. So that's all the time we have this week. I do want to thank each of you for listening. I want to remind you that you can take advantage of our special one-time trial offers uh, for Chen's letter, Roger Wiegand's letter and my newsletter as well. Call uh, Carl Bossi in New York, 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426, or go to miningstocks.com. Next week, our special guest will be Walter Williams, uh, I should say John Williams. He's an economist uh, that pulls no punches, is really talking about the real inflation rate, the real unemployment rate, the real GDP numbers, not the phony ones that you're given by the government. So you won't want to miss John Williams and, and his views. Also, Dr. John Mark Stoudy is scheduled to be with us to talk a little bit about gold mining and silver mining economics. Uh, I think it's a show you're not going to want to miss. In closing, I want to thank again the staff at Voice America, starting with my senior executive producer, Tacey Trump, Ruben Colomb, my operations manager, Justin Jackman, my crackerjack engineer. I want to thank each of you for making this show logistically possible. Thanks to each of you for listening. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you.
2: again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now the thing
1: about time is that time is in